Hi, this is Ben Lola, back to the Bible Canada. On today's program, our special series, I Will Tell, will examine the importance of understanding what Christ has done for us and why it's so critical that we share this knowledge with others. So turn with me to Romans chapter 10, verses 14 to 15, as we go back to the Bible with Dr. John Newfeld. I know a great many Christians are afraid of the word evangelism. And that's true for a number of reasons. One man said, I have no idea where or how to start. One woman said, I actually like people and I don't want to destroy my relationships with my non-Christian friends. So I don't evangelize. Let me come to your defense. If you've been taught a method of evangelism that is forced or programmed or is not the outcome of your life, I can understand your dilemma. Some of us have had bad experiences with evangelism. I know some people who have been guilted into going door to door, and that has kind of vaccinated you from getting the evangelism disease. I know others who remember a campaign that came with a plan they felt pressured into, and it felt unnatural and unrelated to their faith. Sometimes it goes like this. Have several non-Christian couples in your home for coffee, and while they're there, these are the things you're to do. You watch a movie together, you make a gospel presentation, you've got to memorize certain transitional lines, and instantly you froze. It felt like selling a product for a pyramid marketing scheme. You thought you would die of shame, and it felt like you were taking advantage of your friends. How would they ever talk to you again? But if that's what you're thinking, you can relax. I don't want to convince you of participating in an evangelism program. I mean, some are very good and others, well, not so much. I want to convince you of evangelism as a way of life. Now, during this week, I want to share ways in which evangelism can become the outgrowth of the way you actually live. That is, if you're living as a faithful servant of our Lord. In short, I want evangelism to feel less programmatic and more authentic. I want to invite you into the real lives of people who don't know Christ. You really can have spiritual conversations with people that lead to a discussion about the saving news of Jesus, and you really can survive those experiences with joy. Indeed, you might even have the indescribable joy of leading someone to faith in Christ. I know that there are those who say, you know, I just evangelize in the way I live. I just allow people to see that I'm a Christian, and they know I go to church, and and they know what I believe. And we sometimes quote Francis of Assisi, who some reported to have said, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Well, I've got news for you from Romans 10, 14 and 15. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of him who preach good news. So back to Francis. Use words if necessary. Well, according to the Bible, words are necessary. Yes, we must live an authentic Christian life, but just living your life is not enough. You must tell. I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, you said that after you are done explaining how to do evangelism as a way of life, that you can relax. Well, you might say, I'm not relaxing. It's one thing to have a campaign in which someone might be pressured to participate, but mercifully that campaign ends. It would take a lot to convince you to do evangelism by telling others of what God has done in Christ as a way of life all the time. You might be saying, I don't think I can do that. So let me tell you my story. I surrendered my life into the hands of Jesus when I was 18 years old. It was not long after that that I and a friend went to a Christian movie in a church. 
which as I think back on it now, was not that great of a movie. But after the movie, completely to my surprise, my friend told me he didn't know Christ, but wanted to become a Christian. I was unprepared. I mean, how do we do this thing? I'm still amazed how badly I handled it. But my friend was determined not to let me off the hook, but he insisted that I help him come to Christ. So I said, well, I, I think you have to confess your sins, and I, and I think you have to ask Jesus into your life. I mean, that's all I knew. I didn't quote any scripture, nothing beyond that. And so he did what I suggested. And amazingly, after that encounter, my friend was a changed man, and just as amazingly, so was I. I still didn't know anything about how to share my faith with anyone, but I became convinced that there were people all around me who were far more interested in Christ than I had ever been led to believe. And at this point in my life, when I've had the privilege of praying with many people to come to Christ, I'm more deeply convinced than ever before of that truth. I have an undergraduate degree from the University of Saskatchewan in Saskatoon, and during my years there, I developed an insatiable hunger to share Christ. By that time, I had been converted myself. I had been to Bible college. I had learned a bit of the Bible. I had memorized some gospel presentations, and I also learned how to defend my faith. University seemed like a grand adventure. I felt like I was stepping out on the mission field. I knew there were those who wanted to discredit the gospel, but I felt I was there to earn a degree and to declare Christ. I wondered how to start. No one had ever trained me, but to my amazement, I learned that if I was faithful and unashamed of Christ, the opportunities came, especially in a university setting. I was in a sociology class, and my prof had just made a statement that the Christian faith repressed sexuality and led to unnatural ways of living. I put my hand up and said, well, sir, I'm a Christian, and I'd like to challenge that. I'd like to tell you what the Bible actually says about sex. And to be truthful, I didn't even have the slightest idea of what I was going to say next. I was frantically trying to remember verses of Scripture. But by God's grace, the class had come to an end, and my prof said, you know, we'll pick up this next time. And then looking straight at me, he said, and then you can make your case. And that gave me two days. And two days later, I was ready. I learned from that experience. God is in control and will help me even in my weaknesses. I was in an English class in which I wrote a paper defending my faith against a book we were assigned to read, a book overtly anti-Christian. I wondered what the outcome would be, and my prof, and I almost fell over dead, asked me to read my paper in front of the class. I had countless conversations about Christ as a result of that. I felt that God was watching over me and His Word. During my university years, I was given the opportunity to lead some of my classmates to faith in Christ. I remember a medical student. I remember a young man training for the priesthood. I remember a young man whose parents hated him. I remember getting involved in people's lives, and I remember some of the greatest friendships ever. I learned how to share my faith in those years, and whereas I had heard of many Christian students whose faith was weakened while they were in university, I graduated with distinction and felt it was some of the most faith-strengthening years of my life. And the reason for that was simple. Evangelism forced me to grow. And over the years, I have both joyful and painful memories. I remember two police officers, both who professed to give their lives to Christ, one who is right now a solid leader in his church, the other has left his wife, his family, deserted whatever faith he once professed to have. I remember a young demon-oppressed woman coming miraculously to faith, only to fall into the hands of false teachers who almost robbed her of her faith. I wish I could tell the story of how miraculously God put me into her path and how with courage she turned from those who 
were confusing her and is now living by the power and joy and the glory of God. I wish I had time to tell the story of a young atheist raised in an atheist home whose dad disowned him and through that experience opened up to the gospel in a way that he never could have had his relationship with his dad been intact. He's a faithful follower of Christ to this day. I wish I had time to tell the story of a dying man who had no Christian background but who had so many questions. Right now, he's in the courts of Christ, praising the Redeemer who ransomed him. And I had the joy to be a part of all that and so much more. Those stories have made me rich. Listen, all my stories aren't as great as the ones I've intimated, but they are all intense moments of warfare and conflict with a prince of darkness and sensing the Holy Spirit urging me to pray more and establishing me deeper in the faith and at other times just confessing my cold heart to God. A commitment to evangelism has, in many ways, rooted me more deeply in Christ. I guess what I'm trying to communicate is that evangelism has not just changed the lives of the people I have had the joy of sharing the gospel with, it's changed my life. I not only believe in the power of the gospel, I've personally witnessed the power of the gospel. And so let me try to explain where we're going this week. With the time remaining today, I want to reflect on what Christ has done personally in our own lives in giving us this marvelous gospel. Tomorrow, I want to reflect on one of the most perplexing questions that many North American Christians struggle with. Are those who have no faith in Christ actually lost, and is their only hope the gospel of Jesus, or should we hold out some other hope for them? Is it possible to be saved without explicit faith in Jesus? And how does the answer to that question impact us? Then on Thursday, I want to get practical. I want to talk about how any Christian, regardless of who they are, can actually engage people in spiritual conversations that lead to a discussion of the cross of Jesus. And on Friday, I want to talk about the place of apologetics in the practice of the gospel. I want us to be better in answering the tough questions people are inevitably going to ask us. So when we come back, we're going to take stock of what Christ has done for us, and we want to reflect on what we would be if we were not saved, and more so. We want to reflect on why that means that every single Christian has a lot to talk about when it comes to the non-Christian world. I wonder if sometimes we forget that to do evangelism not only impacts those whom we witness to, but it changes us deeply as well. When we step out in faith with our lives and our words, we can never be the same. That is the power of the gospel. And after the break, Dr. Neufeld unpacks this lesson of what Christ has done for us so that we can understand more fully the magnitude of this great and good news. Thanks for listening today. Do you want to stay connected every day with what's happening at Back to the Bible Canada? Well, an easy way is through Facebook and Twitter, where you can get access to news and the latest broadcasts, Dr. Newfeld's blog, and much more. As more people use social media to support their local ministries and organizations, you can help us spread the word about what this ministry is all about. So would you take a few minutes and like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter under the handle at BTTBC and encourage your friends to do the same today. Now let's get back to today's program with Dr. John Newfeld. One of the reasons why many of us find it difficult to share our faith Well, let me be as frank as I know how. It's because we're not brimming over with joy and enthusiasm about our richness in Christ. Talk to a non-Christian about Jesus? We don't even talk to people in our own churches about Jesus. 
Gather in the average church lobby and you'll find conversations about the weather and sports and business and family, but it's amazing how few are praying with each other in the lobby or in encouraging each other in the faith and expressing a recent encounter we've had with the God who saved us or discovering in the Bible that's gotten our attention. Now, now I can't change that. Only the Holy Spirit can. But what we can do is refamiliarize ourselves with who we have become in Christ. Get a sense of what Paul speaks about in Ephesians 3, 18 and 19, that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of God that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Here's what sometimes happens. There are people who assume that when it comes to Christ and them, well, there's not much to talk about. Unlike someone who's come to Christ in their adult years, you've come to Christ when you were five. Your mom knelt with you beside your bed, and as you gave your life to Jesus, that was it. I mean, what's there to say after that? So in the time remaining, there are three essential things that I want to stress. First, I want us to take stock of what the Scripture has declared of all of us who are in Christ. Second, I want us to begin to see the reality of Romans 8.28, how God is weaving together every detail in our lives for our good. And third, on the basis of what we learned from the first two points, I want us to imagine what you would be today if you were not in Christ. And that should give you something to talk about. Are you ready? Let's start with the first point. I need to take stock of who I have become in Christ. Remember Ephesians 2, 1 to 3? You were dead in trespasses and sins. You followed the course of this world and the influences of Satan himself. As David reminds us in Psalm 51, we were born in sin. And as Ephesians reminds us, we were dead in sin. And whether it was at the age of five or at the age of 75, Ephesians 2 verse 4 says that God, being rich in mercy, made us alive. That's what happened from God's perspective when we were saved. Now then, once we were saved, God produced a reality in all of us. If you decide to read the New Testament with the objective of simply recording all that is now yours when you are in Christ, I promise you, you'll collect quite a list. For instance, from Romans 8, 28 to 30, you will discover that you have been elect from eternity past. From Galatians 2, 16, you will discover you are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. From Romans 8, 14 to 17, you will discover you've been adopted into the family of God. That means that God has not only saved you, but you've been called a son or a daughter of God and now enjoy the rich privileges of sonship. From 1 Corinthians 6.11, you learn that you've been made holy or sanctified. And from 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, where we are told that we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another, you'll learn that the process of holiness or sanctification is increasingly transforming you as you learn to trust the promises of God until Hebrews 12.23, which tells us of just men made perfect. We are assured that the sanctification process will reach its goal as we enter through the portal of death into eternal dwellings. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 tells us we believers were all baptized with the Holy Spirit, and numerous Bible texts teach us about the role of the Holy Spirit who now lives in our lives. He's the author of our new life. He is the one who, according to Galatians 6, 23 to 24, gives us love and joy and peace. And from 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, we learn of the gifts he gives us for service. And from Ephesians 4, verse 30, we learn that when we sin, the Holy Spirit is grieved. 
and brings a sense of sorrow to our own lives. From 1 John 2, verse 3, we learn that the Holy Spirit builds an awareness in us of God's presence. And I don't have time to talk of the Spirit's guidance, His assurance of our salvation, His helping us to understand Scripture, and His guidance in prayer. You see, I don't have time to talk about other benefits from our salvation, including our right to access into the presence of God, the gift of persevering faith, so that we can sing with confidence that we know with certainty that when the death dew lies cold upon our brow, we will say, if ever I loved thee, my Jesus, tis now. I haven't even addressed the issue of the hope of eternity. And once you start formulating a list of what you have been given in your salvation, there really is something to talk about. As long as we don't dig into this theme, all we ever know is, well, uh, I, I guess my sins were forgiven. So do you want to be an evangelist? Why don't you start a life-changing project? Read through the New Testament and begin a list in a notebook of all that is yours in Christ. Too many of us are so like so many people who use their smartphones. We have no idea of all the benefits of that phone we carry, and so it is with our salvation. So that's step one. I need to take stock of who I am in Christ. And that leads me to the second issue. I need to begin to notice Christ in everything. Romans 8.28 reads, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. A part of what it takes to understand that verse is the concept, not just of God's sovereignty, but his meticulous sovereignty. Many believers have not yet been introduced to this profound biblical teaching. Consider, for instance, Proverbs 16, verse 33. There it says, the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. God oversees every dice that is thrown onto the table. He oversees the motion of every quark. He watches over the trajectory of every arrow on the battlefield. And he is intimately involved in directing every area of my life for the sake of his glory and for the sake of my long-term good. He will not allow a single incidental detail in the life of every one of his children that will not serve his glory and our long-term good. And once we really grasp that concept, we will begin to notice the action of Christ himself in our life. We will see him in our wildest joys and in our deepest griefs. We will learn to give thanks in all things and develop a deep abiding peace in the middle of all things. We will see what we used to call lucky or unlucky, And we're going to redefine those matters as all coming from the guiding hand of a God who caused all things, yes, all things to work together in the serving of our long-term eternal good. Once you notice that, you will never speak about your life the same way. Once we see Christ in everything, you've got something to talk about. So I need to take stock of who I have become in Christ, and I need to see Christ's hand in everything. But there's one more thing. I need to imagine what I would have been were it not for Christ. I would have been alienated from God. There have been no eternal hope. That is, without Christ, every passing year would become a threat. And I would lose everything I once had with the passing of time. Only death would await me in the end. I would not know the purpose for living. I would not know what happens at death. I would not know what it means to be human. I would not know the answer to a great many questions. So let me get personal. I know my personality. Were it not for Christ by now, I would have ruined my health. And I would have wrecked the most precious relationships that I have. 
But instead of that, I'm surrounded by richness. I have relationships that are ongoing and deep and lasting and loving. And I also have not wrecked my life. I'm surrounded by things that money simply can't buy. And here's the point. Without Christ, I would not be who I have become. And I would never become what I will yet be one day. So to those of us who are not sure what it is that we have to share, start there. Instead of simply memorizing a gospel presentation, which by the way, I'm going to strongly encourage you to do, begin to take stock of richness beyond compare. And then when you've thoroughly examined the richness of your treasure, your bank account beyond compare, then say, how can I keep quiet about this? I will tell. John, thanks for today's message. It's a it's a challenge uh, to to go out and to speak to people that don't know Jesus and to speak to them about our faith and our and our story and our experience of Him. But you mentioned something earlier that really caught my attention. How can we go about doing that when we can't even talk to each other sometimes about our faith? Yeah, we're not modeling this well, are we? I mean, sometimes our own churches can be our own worst enemy in that we've established a pattern in church where after a sermon is done or a Bible study is done or something else is done, we immediately switch topics and we don't actually talk to each other. So here's a challenge I'd like to give people. Have you ever been in a Bible study where someone has said, would you pray for me? And then you say yes, uh, and then you never do. So let me try to already transition us here. The minute someone says, will you pray for me, would you say, can we do it right now? And then pray with them right then. I mean, put your hand on their shoulder, begin to pray. And then contact them maybe a week later and say, I prayed for you last week. What actually happened? And you'll be amazed at how God is actually answering our prayers. That's something to talk about. So I think we need to talk about Christ at work in our lives. There has to be a starting point somewhere. And that's really where our courage comes from, doesn't it? It's from that experience of knowing that God is doing great things in people's lives. And, and we're encouraged not only in our relationship to other Christians, but that allows us to speak truth into other people's lives as well. Yeah, evangelism has to be the outflow of what's actually happening inside. That's what I meant when I said it's got to be authentic. I mean, we've, you know, it's got to be somewhere a part of who we are rather than just a program I memorize. I think that's essential. Yeah, and it's a great term, and I don't know if you meant to put it in there, but that, that idea of natural evangelism, and that's what we're really after, the outflow of who Christ is to other people. Thanks for joining us again today, and join us again tomorrow for more of Back to the Bible Canada. So have you taken stock, a complete inventory, as it were, of all that you've been given in Christ? As we've learned, this is the first step that we must take to be an effective evangelist because once we've grasped the reality of who we are, this changes everything. I hope that today's lesson has encouraged you and challenged you to take hold of your identity in Christ, to discover this richness that is beyond anything in this life. Join us tomorrow as Dr. Neufeld explores a message about telling of the necessity of Christ. If you've been enjoying this very special series, I'd like to invite you to participate in our free giveaway this month. For a limited time, we're offering a free CD of I Will Tell by Dr. John Newfeld to all of our listeners. This is a wonderful resource that focuses on the importance of not only sharing our faith, but provides us solid tools for how to make evangelism a natural lifestyle. 
The teaching is so accessible and practical for every Christian, whether a new believer or someone who grew up in the church. Just call us today for your free copy at 1-800-663-2425 or email us at info at backtothebible.ca. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day.